Well, this morning we're in a study in the book of Colossians called Set Free. You might have figured that out thematically by now. And today, set free from bondage. And I don't know what it is that maybe you have had bondage of the past that you've struggled with. Maybe you came to this service today, and this message is just crafted for you because there's places of bondage that have uh, held you long enough. I'm going to jump in here. We're in chapter 1. If you'll go down to verse 24, and that's where we start. If you want to go back online, you can, can watch these. I think we did have a glitch a few weeks ago. I apologize for that. But uh, we're doing all we can. Verse 24 here is Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That is us. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. You know who the saints are? The saints are those that are in Jesus Christ. They're, they're believers. They're followers of Christ. He, he jumps into this passage and he and uses the word mystery. There, there's a mystery here. Here in Colossians, I think it's used three times. In the New Testament, the word mystery is used like 17 different times. But basically, it's a, a truth to be understood, but not to be un, only understood. It's to be revealed. And Christ has come as the revealer of God. He is God. Remember what Swift said last weekend? He's the exact representation of his being, of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Christ has come to reveal. He's come. So mystery. He, he's come to reveal God. So mystery is what? Is being revealed. Just fill that in the blank. Mystery is not going to come up because I just want to say a lot of things. But the mystery is Christ. Christ that has been hidden, Christ that was prophesied by the prophets of long ago, He has come. He has lived. He has died. He is buried. He is resurrected. And He's coming again. Don and I had the honor of Friday. We went to the movie. A lot of people gathered in the room. Son of God, I, I'll encourage you to go to that film. It was very, very good, very uh, powerful, very well done. I'm grateful. It was interesting. We were sitting there, and there's more Christian religious films being filmed and that are being released in the month of March. How many of you want to thank God and thank Hollywood for that right now, huh? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Well, well I'm sure that's going to encourage them. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I encourage you to go spend money. That's how they produce films is if, if we spend money. Like, ah, I want more blood and guts, and I want crime and sex and all that. Well, no, this is not a sex film. It's got a lot of blood, though. I'd encourage the young audience, you might not want to go. It's very graphic about the Word of Jesus and the life of Christ. What I want to talk to you this morning, though, is I, I want us to look there, and I want us to move down. So there's this mystery, and then what he says is, look down there in verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of what? This mystery, this mystery we're going to talk about, Jesus Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're around me very often, I always talk about Jesus hope in you, the hope of glory. I, I love this one line from Colossians. If I could extract out many verses and I, as I do, but this would be Christ in you. Somewhere right on your worship guide today. If you just left here and you went, I don't remember anything you said. Remember, Christ is the hope for your life. He's the hope for the nations. He's the hope for the Ukraine this morning. He's the hope for our heart. He's the hope for your brokenness. Can you say Jesus is the hope? Say it with me. Jesus is the hope. Let's, let's make it personal. Jesus is my hope. Let's say it together. Jesus is my hope, my God, my refuge. I run to him. So they were rejoicing here 
and, and sufferings. You know, the, the Bible talks here about suffering and affliction and how it comes against us. And God says, another place in Scripture, be fruitful in the land of affliction. See, suffering is all part of the plan of God. A lot of times we're like, oh, I don't know about this suffering thing. If I'm a good Christian, I'm not going to suffer. You've not read the Bible. Holy, godly people suffered. Jesus said, blessed are they that are persecuted and suffer for my namesake, for my kingdom. So if you're suffering, part of that is part of this life, part of the fall that we follow after Christ and we go, Lord, I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to uh, fellowship with you in the power of your resurrection, but also in the fellowship of your suffering. So this morning, if you find yourself suffering, I'm not excited about that. I'm not thrilled about that. But it's part of the God plan. And people that don't teach that, I, I think they give us less than a true gospel. Now let's move to verse 29. I want you to see this. To this end, I labor struggling, striving with all this energy which so powerfully works within me. That's Christ. That's the hope of glory in you when you're positioned in Christ. He works out your salvation. He has secured your salvation. We don't earn. We don't work for our salvation. It's already been done. But when Christ, when the Holy Spirit, when the dynamo, when he's in us, he powerfully lets himself out. He powerfully wants to release himself through those that will surrender and submit to his will. And as I look at this, I just go struggle with his energy, generating power from within me, working to the point of exhaustion paul loved to be a laborer for christ he struggled he was in prison as we read his letters in the new testament but somewhere between the life of paul and 2014 there's been separation there's some people that go i, I don't want to suffer I, I i don't want to struggle well, let me tell you we're, we're going to struggle we're going to suffer but god's given us the blessed holy spirit to enable us to overcome suffering can you just say a big amen? Yeah, so you're going through cancer. Christ is there in that. You're going through death. Christ is there. You're going through a hard time. You're going through discouragement. You're going through depression. You're going through whatever. Just, I don't care what it is. Christ says, I struggle. I work within you. I strive in me. And then I want you to just see this box here. I got this from John MacArthur, a great mind for Christ. Some of you, I, even this morning, I walked up to a guy and he had a John MacArthur study Bible. I mean, it's just... He's, he has a brilliant mind for Christ. I, I just celebrate that. We don't always agree on all the theological things of Scripture, but then nobody does. But I admire him as a scholar. And look at this. Just fill it in. I want you to see this. Suffering brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Would anybody agree with that? When you suffer, when you are afflicted, it draws you to Christ that you know him, that you fellowship with him. So next time you suffer, go, oh, Lord Jesus, if this is what you've got, then powerfully work within me i strive to know you and to fellowship with you because you know what it is to suffer the second thing is suffering assures the believer that he belongs to christ see one false gospel would go if you're a good enough christian you won't suffer i don't see that in the bible uh, tell stephen that when he was stoned stephen if you'd have just had enough faith you wouldn't have suffered buddy I don't I think he'd have said, yeah, whatever. Look at the disciples. They suffered. Look at us. We suffered third. Suffering brings a future reward. God will reveal. God will reward us for our faith that we endure in Christ Jesus as a good soldier. We have a lot of military in our church. We're, thank, we're so grateful for the military. We're thankful for the military that have served here over the years and the ones that are here and the ones yet to come. Maybe they're watching on web right now. We love you. And yet Christ uses that... Uh, 
example for us that we should be good soldiers of the gospel, that we're enlisted to suffer with Christ. The fourth, suffering can result in the salvation of others. People begin to watch how you deal with suffering. If you curse God, if you blame God, if you grow bitter, if you grow cold, if you're whatever, but when people see that you're suffering in the strength of Christ that strives, that works within you, verse 29, powerful verse, good connection, they might come to faith in Jesus. And then the fifth one is, suffering frustrates Satan. Don't you love that? See, he's going, all right, look, Job, curse God. Hey, person, curse God. If you See, look what God did for you. He didn't deliver you. Oh, you don't understand. My God's with me in the fire. My God's with me in the trial. He's testing. He's purifying my faith. And in the process of this, I'm going to come out more like Jesus. I'm going to be reduced. I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's, it's New Testament teaching. And then he gets into chapter 2, and I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. Man, he, he loved these people. Epaphras, I told you, I think the first week, Epaphras was the church planner at Colossae. So he's struggling here. And look what he says. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may be the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden the hidden treasures of God. He's just trying to lay it out there for you. He's just building a case because I, I told you about the Gnostics of that day and Gnosticism that was rampant, that was powerful. And yet, he, he's going to start building this case and he's going to come down here to verse 6 through 15. And then he's going to start talking about, hey, but you can be triumphant. You're going to triumph in Jesus Christ. He is the one. Your, your trespasses are forgiven because of what Christ did at the cross. We always sing about the cross. We talk about the cross. Some of us weep about the cross. Some of us look at the glorious cross. Many of us embrace the cross. And some of us forget about how great the cross was. Because without the cross, there's no shedding of blood. There's no forgiveness of sins. We need the cross, church. I remember when I was going to seminary. An academic community with lots of believers lots of liberal academic thinkers too and i remember they had this debate before i got in there they started talking about taking the cross down in the chapel i thought what taking the cross down it caused a great uproar i mean i, I can't imagine if you don't have a cross you don't have a savior you know what i'm saying church the cross was emptied of its power. And he, he goes in here, he says, the mystery of God, I tell you that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Does that sound like 2014? Are people trying to deceive the people in the church today? Are they trying to deceive believers? Are they trying to deceive the lost world? Yes. Christ says, don't be deceived. Believe, believe the truth. Receive me. Come unto me. Hey, I'll give you grace. And then, I love this. This is where I've really been wanting to go because he says, receive Christ. And I invite you not to accept Christ. I invite you to receive Christ. Receive Christ into your life. But I want you to look at this verse. This is so great. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Now, I love this thing about taking root. Taking root is a metaphor. Uh, Yesterday, I got a text from somebody, and I noticed in our neighborhood this morning as I was on the way to church, there's a lot of trees on the side of the road. There's a lot of people went out yesterday. Let me just tell y'all something I learned from my mom that just passed away the 31st of December. And Donna, I'll tell you, she had a green thumb. She could grow rocks and make them bloom. It was just, I just lied. She really couldn't. But she had a beautiful yard. 
And she'd always say, son, don't plant stuff till after Easter. Because right now, you that are not from Montgomery, you're tricked. You're deceived. You're thinking, oh, I'm getting my bikini out. I'm getting my, I'm getting it. And somebody like, don't get the bikini out. Hey, I'm getting this. I'm getting my bathing suit. We're going to the beach. It's going to be beautiful. Let me just tell you from this stage right now. I have seen it sunshine with bathing suits on Monday. And I've seen this wrapped up in gear for snow on Friday in the month of March. You're saying, oh, Pastor, you're killing my joy. Hey, I do celebrate. Today will be 77 degrees. It's going to be a beautiful day, okay? Enjoy it. But it won't last. I just want to go ahead and tell you that. And then it'll change. But here, so, he's, so don't go ahead and start planting all your stuff yet. Go ahead and work in the yard. That's good. But he says, take root. What happens when you root something? It brings the nutrients from the soil, and that plant is nourished, that tree, that bush, that flower, and it gives off beauty. As Christ followers... We are to be the pleasing aroma, the fragrance of Jesus Christ, rooted in Christ. You know what happens when you have roots? It gives life and stability. Write that down. Roots mean life. They mean stability. When the forces of this world, when the devil and demons and activity comes against you, when you're rooted deep in Jesus Christ, you're able to overcome. You're able to withstand the truth of Christ. I would just say, anchor into Jesus. He's the only thing I've got to anchor for my soul and for your soul. He's the great anchor of hope. They've been filled with him. They've been rooted. They've been established. We take up root. It's, it's a construction term here about being rooted. It's a gardening term. Man, be rooted. I, I just pray that that'll be the goal of your faith, to be rooted in Jesus Christ. That when cunning schemes, deceptive teachings, false teachers come, you know the truth for what it is. Because you love Jesus, because you love the Word, because you've been established in Him. And, and then the other thing that I just see here, that Christ gives hope. Years ago, as a youth pastor and had a lot of kids, and I traveled a lot, and I spoke a lot, and I came up with these three talks. They were called the three S's. The first one was uh, called sex. Teenagers always want to talk about sex. So I would talk about purity and holiness and sex, and kids love that one. Then I'd take them down. Then I talked about suicide. And like, boy. And then I'd talk about glorious salvation, okay? And here's what I learned when I was doing all these talks all around the country on, on suicide. That people grow hopeless is when they commit suicide. They have hopelessness fills their life. It consumes. When you lose hope, you can't survive. As long as you got some hope, you can make it. Let me tell you, let me always point to the cross. See that cross over there? When you look to Christ, when you look to the cross, you can always find yourself secure, anchored to the hope of God. Amen. And when you quit looking at the cross and you quit looking to Christ... You're going to lose hope. You're saying, but my hope is in my mate. Let me tell you, I don't care if you're married to the most perfect woman that has ever walked, the most perfect man that has walked into our church. You're going to lose hope if you put your hope in him. You're like, but you ain't met him. How long have you been married, okay? I mean, we're just going to fail. Do your, have your kids ever disappointed you? Now, my grandchild, she, my granddaughter's never disappointed me, okay? She's close to perfect, I know. No, she's not, she's not even perfect. And, and, but, but I know, you said wait till she gets there, I know. Wait till she tells Pop no. Then we'll say, oh, Jesus, help her. Okay, so look, look at verse 7. It says, rooted, built up in him, and then he goes, overflowing with thankfulness. Just develop a heart of gratitude. Paul here at Colossae, he's telling them they're thankful, they're walking, they have a grateful heart, they're rooted, they're established, they're firm, they're stable in Christ, but they're thankful. 
They're grateful. You know, that's what I want to have is a more grateful heart. I want you to have a more grateful heart. Gratefulness is contagious. Gratefulness is a blessing. Gratefulness is a heart that comes to God. God, woe is me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Not, hey, God, aren't you glad you got me on your team? Man, you're doing good. <laughs> Man, God will snatch me out and you out so quick. You got that kind of pride. I mean, God's just not into our pride. He's into our holiness. And then verse 8 here, these are heresies and conditions. And verse 8, just look here quickly. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy. You have to go back and get this whole series. I don't have time to go through old Gnosticism and mysticism and asceticism and syncretism and all you're saying man where'd you get all these isms i, I went to seminary and uh, so yeah, anyway so and i know it makes me sick too but there there's a word here i want you to see it walk in gratitude did you feel that and then this next word starts with an s it means to kidnap here kidnap to carry off his booty or spoil of war empty deception I love the Greek language because it's so exact, it's so precise, and Satan has a desire for you and me. He wants to take us captive by deception, by kidnapping. And I pray that you won't be kidnapped by the evil one, that you'll fix your eyes upon Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute when we go through Colossians, but stay free, framing the perspective that God's called me to be free, not to fall into the traps of the evil one. And then he, he moves on down here in verse 9. Look here. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Here it is. It's the Christmas narrative right here. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been. They were in the beginning. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. And you first John 1, you go out through the Word. And then we read the other day that Jesus is Creator. Did you agree with me, church? Jesus is creator. He's part of the Trinity. But he leaves heaven. He comes to earth. He becomes a man. He lives 33 years. He gives his perfect life away. He's the fullness of God. It's the deity. It's, it's the Christmas story. It's, it's beautiful. And he comes for what? He comes for a reason. He comes to set us free. He comes to liberate us from bondage and from sin and things that are holding us captive. And, and, and then we, we've been just held up and there's no freedom and there's no joy and there's no atonement. Not once and for all, as Hebrews says, but then Christ comes. I don't ever want to just get blow over that. Christ came for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. I, I got to just come back to gospel and keep preaching the cross. But look here, religious freedom killers. Number one, Christ plus human teaching, extra human teaching. We've been talking about that. They were a smart people. They were a religious people. We'll give them that. And they were trying to add to the gospel. Anybody that adds to these words of mine will be cursed as Jesus. We don't add to the gospel. We, he's, he's enough. Look at 2.8. See that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, that which depends on human tradition, on the basic principles of the world, rather than on Christ. Keep going to Christ. Keep going back to Jesus. Lord, I depend on you. The basic principles of this world, they're going to wreck me eventually. Let, let me just give you one. I understand this. We strive and we have, we have effort. And if we're not careful, we get performance driven. And some of us in this room suffer from that, have suffered from that, basic principles of this world. In sports, in work, in school, work, 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 do, do, do. And, and there's a place for that. And we need to strive and we need to do it as unto the Lord, not to man. I understand all those principles. That's great. 
But let me tell you about grace. Grace is about an accomplished work of God. It's already done. You, you don't earn it. Let me, let me, let me, I, I want to give you some things here. See if you can finish. Fill in the blanks. There's no such thing as a... Come on, say it loud. There's no such thing as a... Would you agree with that? I would. Because you've got to earn it, right? You're saying, well, you didn't know my mama. Well, you earned it. Okay, here we go. If you want something done right... Huh, y- y'all went to the same school I did? Yeah, you know that one. All right, here we go. Nick Merkel and you guys. Wish Tony was here, bodybuilder today. No pain. Oh, y'all know that one, do you? This is the worst one. God helps those. What scripture is that? It ain't in there. See how it's all about work? And here's what's amazing. This is what scares me. I love you. You're beautiful. You're bright. Y'all are more enthusiastic about giving me those answers than you are the Word of God. You knew the answers to those. Next weekend, maybe I'll get some scriptures and not finish them and see if you recite back in unison. You know what's scary? We might not pass. But what if I did it from the book of Colossians? You're saying, I'm going to study Colossians this week. I'll do anything to get you into the Word of God. Blake, y'all remind me to do this this week. I got to do this. This base is grace. Here it is. All right, so Christ plus that. The solution, remember, all I have, all I need is in Christ. Christ only. Christ sufficient. Christ supreme. Earlier passages that we've been looking at in um, Colossians as we've been walking through this study together. Great word here. The fullness of the deity. When you see that in the scripture, circle it. Fullness, the fullness of God, complete in God. Circle that. You are complete in Jesus Christ. You don't need to add anything else to Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Write that down. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals the kingdom. But Jesus plus something is called religion. And it'll lead you astray. So in Christ, infinite knowledge, holy God, he, he leads us. Up. Karl Barth, great theologian, we studied him in school. He was visiting Chicago one day, and he was giving this great lecture, and one of the students came up to him, and he thought, man, this is a brilliant mind, erudite, sharp. I'm going to talk to him. Dr. Barth, I just want to know, what is the greatest theological truth that you've ever discovered? Dr. Barth sat there for a minute, put his hand like this. You know how we do this when we're thinking, right? Just look there and he says, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. He said, that's, that's the greatest truth I got. And they could have talked about all kind of theological terms, but he wanted to tell them about the heart of the gospel is always found in Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. And then I just put in here, pleroma. It's a great Greek word. It just means fullness. God wants you full. He wants you complete. And you're complete in the Son. And then in the next one, it says, we triumph, we win in Christ, verses 13 through 15. I wish I had time just to dig in this forever. But when you walk into the foyer, I want you to look at the foyer different. When you walk into the foyer, there's a red wall. You know why there's a red wall? Because it represents the Passover. See, we're a contemporary church, so people say, y'all don't have stained glass, y'all don't have any symbols. Oh, yes, we do. That red wall is the Passover. They came by the way of the Passover, by the way of the blood. That's the red wall before you walk into the sanctuary to, to the living room every week. 
But in the middle of that wall, I preached a message early on in this facility about Colossians, and we nailed our sins to the cross. We're going to read about it, and that's why that cross is nailed right there in the center wall. Some of you are like, is there a cross in the foyer? I have never seen it. There's a big cross, and it's got all these nails, and people came forward, and they nailed their sins to the cross. I've, it's, it's, I've had people saying, can we take the cross down? Nope, not why I'm here. Crosses stand. How about that, church? The cross is sufficient. Amen? Now, in here, you know, I know we've got all the screens and all this, and it's amazing. We can give you all kind of crosses, and we've got crosses on the side. But anyway, it's just a great way to remind you. But he, look what he says, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that were against us, that stood opposed us. He took it away, nailing it to the what? The cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. Isn't that good news, church? The cross, we're triumphant. And here they are, they're trying to be religious people, and they're trying to say, oh, you need to believe this gospel, you need to add to the gospel. And Paul's like, let me just take you back to Sunday school. Here it is, the cross, dead in transgressions, unable to respond to God, and then the cross shows up. He cancels our certificate of debt. How about this? This week, if somebody called you and said, you know that car you've been paying on for, for uh, 15 years? Yeah. You know that car you've been paying on for three years? I want you to know it is paid in full. I cancel your debt. Have a nice day. How many of you would come to church and go, praise God? How many would give a nice tithe? Oh, no, I'm probably going to go on a trip. Okay, well, all right, all right, here you go. When he talks about canceling the debt, if you study history, we didn't have, you know, he didn't have iPads and computers and all the paper and notebooks and all the stuff we had. They had papyrus. That's what they would write on. It was an animal skin. And the ink that they would write with, it, it didn't soak into it very well. So it was very easy to erase the writing, the marks, and, and start over. And this, when he says, I cancel your debt, he says, I erase your sin, and it is no more. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It erases our sin. Do y'all get us thrilled about Christ erasing your marks? Christ erasing your transgressions against him? Are you thrilled about that, church? That is stunning to me. That's grace. See, I have the propensity to hold on to stuff. I'm ashamed of it. You sin against me. I have a pretty good memory. I tend to want to remember it sometimes. And it doesn't bring honor to the Father. And Father says, as I've forgiven you, forgive one another. He cancels the debt, triumphant, laboring. His, we set free by him this old way of life, nailed to the cross, decisive end to the sin, miserable, wrecked life. That's what the cross means. You're dead to sin. But now you've been made alive in the Son of God, in Jesus. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You're dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. A new power in operation. We're alive in Christ. When we are born again, when we are forgiven of our sins, when we get a new nature, we're now alive we, let me give you a verse. I want to move through this. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. Ezekiel 36. 
I give you a new heart and, a new, and I put a new spirit within you. I remove from you an old heart of stone. I give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. But God says, I will put a new heart in you. When you receive the gospel, when you receive Christ for your forgiveness of sin and to be the Lord, the master of your life, he gave you a new heart. Glory be to the Father for that. So he disarms us. Look, look at this. i got to move through this. Oh, my goodness. Christ plus legalism. Number two, legalism. Add extra rules and judge by the performance. No. It's not going to get you freedom. It's going to get you slavery. It's going to get you bondage. It's, it's going to be a shadow of things to come, verses 16 and 17. Don't, I just write beside that, don't be a shadow chaser. Don't chase the things that are merely just a shadow, but chase the real thing, the, the risen Christ. Pursue Christ. Run after him. Let no one judge you. Let no one rob you. Lord, reflect your way in my life. Lord, I want you to be the source of my spiritual being. I don't want to add anything to you, Jesus. I don't want to add rules and lists and regulations and duties. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want you to allow me to be all that I can be. But look at the solution there. Refocus on Jesus. See, legalism gets you to focus on behavior, actions. The gospel gets you to focus on Christ, on Jesus. Recalibrate, rethink. Lord, I focus on you. And the third, Christ plus mysticism. We talked about that a lot the other day. But you have to have other experiences. I would just say it this way. There is a movement in the body of Christ. They're very into experiential faith and so i am i but experiential with the word but if you're if you're chasing sensation i want you to go ahead and fill in the solution rest in salvation don't strive for sensation rest in the salvation of the gospel but don't strive for sensation there are people that will tell you you need to have this experience you need to have this experience if you have this experience then you're more spiritual than another that's called elitism i don't think that's what the bible teaches I want you to have a living encounter with Jesus Christ that you are experiential and we feel and we know God, but I want you to run more after the Savior than I do the gifts. I want you to chase the giver, not the gifts. Do you have me, church? I, God gives us gifts in the body of Christ. I have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts if you're in Jesus. But there are people that just teach, chase the gift, chase the gift, and I say chase the giver. Christ, I want to focus on you I want to be some mystic. And then I want you to move to this. I want you to see this is Christ plus moralism. They wanted to be a moralistic people. Since you died with Christ to the basic principle of the world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verses 20 and 21. They wanted some kind of behavior. If, if you do these things, then you'll be spiritual. Well, that could be a part of it, but I'm saying connect with Christ. Join him. Get in union. Get in concert. Don't worry so much about the rules, but Lord, look at, fill it in with me. It, it says simply this. Legalistic rules don't last, verse 22. They just, legalism won't last. It'll just carry you into bondage. And the other one is legalistic rules don't work. They, they, they hold us captive. They make us feel guilty. They make us feel condemned. Do I have any people in this room have been condemned before? Have you lived in condemnation? It's not a fun place to live. I already said Christ died to do what? To set us free. To set us free from bondage, from moralism, from all these things. 
He, he's, he's enough. Pursue Him. Try Him. Don't go with the enemy. Abide in Christ. Think about the, 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 the shed blood for you. The bloody cross. The empty tomb. The coming again King. The blessed Holy Spirit. Man, I, I've, I've got so much truth here. I, I, I could just talk about it. And then the whole concept here as it gets toward the end of this chapter is just right down the word asceticism. It's the one who lives for rigorous self-denial. They think somehow, if I deny myself pleasures and the flesh, then I'll be more spiritual. See, that's a part of religion. They're trying to earn their way to God. I would say just come by the way of the cross. Just connect, commit everything that you have to Jesus. Don't fixate on the things of this world, but fixate on Christ. Um, look at this, the solution. Focus on the Savior, not the very sin you're trying to avoid. Focus on the Savior, not the sin. Let me, let me just put it this way, kind of a funny term, but I think it'll work. Now, I don't know if y'all saw those elephants when I came in this morning. They were all kind of elephants over here on the playground. They were running around, and, and they were swinging their trunks, and there were kids taking rides over there. But I want you to think about those elephants. And then last night, I was with my granddaughter, and we decided we would watch Dumbo, you know, his big ears and big elephant, you know, and she, she giggled a couple times. It was really fun. I can't wait to watch it when she can give me words. But I don't want you to think about the elephant, okay? Because, you know, those elephants are nasty things. Now, let's move on. I want to talk to you about this afternoon what we're going to be eating for lunch. But some of you are like, I'm still thinking about them stinking elephants. Where, I didn't see any elephants this morning. You know what I'm trying to do with you? The thing that we fixate on, the thing that if we, if, if, if pornography or lying or lust or whatever it is, the sin, and you think about it all the time, do you see how you are caught up in, in bondage and legalism? And Christ wants you to be what? He wants you to be free, and He wants you to focus on Him, the Savior. He wants to fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And when we get captivated by Christ, then you're not thinking about these elephants over here. I know that's kind of a dumb example. Ramsey and I really did not watch Dumbo last night, okay? But, although now when we watch it, I'm going to be messed up forever because of that stupid illustration I just gave you. Okay. But I want to focus on the Savior. I want you to focus on the Savior. Let me, let me do it this way. Um, the bottom line is, all I have and all I need is Jesus. That's what we need. We need Christ. Not religion, but we need the gospel. This morning, I'm going to show you, well, it's not going to come up on the screen, but I, I want to show you a... Uh, uh, I want you to just listen to some of these thoughts about religion versus gospel. Religion. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Do you see the difference? Here's one. Religion. Motivation is based on fear and insecurity. I'm scared of God. The gospel. Motivation is based on grateful joy. Religion. I obey God in order to get things from God. I've got to earn my way to God. I've got to climb the ladder. The gospel. I obey God to get to God to delight in my heavenly Father. Do you see the difference between religion and gospel? Religion is man-made and it has at its roots insecurity and fear. The gospel has at its roots a loving relationship with a holy God. And that's what I just want for my life and I want it for your life. I just want you to love the glorious gospel of grace, and I want you to follow hard after Christ. And this morning, I'm going to close with a little prayer that I read from a Puritan. The Puritans were very holy. They definitely had some legalist, legalistic tendencies, but they had some profound theology. And this was from the Valley of the Vision. And, 
I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to play on this, and I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. Just close your eyes with me. Oh, Lord, you have commanded me to believe in Jesus, and I would flee to no other refuge and wash in no other fountain and build on no other foundation and receive from no other fullness and rest and no other relief. In this world, you have given me a beginning, and one day it will be perfected in the realm above. You've helped me to see and know Christ through obscurely, to take Him, to receive Him, to possess Him, to love Him, to bless Him in my heart, my mouth, and life. You have led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with Christ and having heart and mind centered only on Him and being like Him and communicating good to others. This is my heaven on earth, but I need the force. I need the energy, the impulses of your spirit to carry me on the way to my Jerusalem home. Jesus, I pray that you would take an old Puritan prayer and that it would resonate with our hearts and that we would long for the new Jerusalem, but that we would center our lives upon Jesus.